We've had some good Easters, we've had some bad Easters. Uh, you might think, oh, it's hard to have a bad Easter, but you say the same about weddings, right? You have good, e good weddings and, and bad weddings. I've been to a bad wedding. Has anyone been to a bad wedding? We once went to a wedding um, where basically everything went wrong. Have you ever been to a wedding where everything goes wrong? Like you can sense it coming through the day as well. Now luckily, I wasn't a licensed marriage celebrant at this time, so I couldn't be blamed for anything that happened on this day. But this was one of those weddings where the next morning we all woke up looking at each other going, did that really happen? Have you ever been in like a situation where you wake up the next day and like, did that really happen? Like, that was a debacle. So at this wedding, early in the day, there was just tension, you could see. And the girls had to get up at 5 a.m. to get their hair done. I don't know if people still do that, but like 5 a.m. to get their hair done. And so there was already tired, hangry people, and the wedding happened, and then after the wedding, one of the bridesmaids was flirting with one of the groomsmen. Now you think, okay, that's normal, that tends to happen at weddings, but this bridesmaid was married, and her husband was at the wedding, and the groomsman she was flirting with wasn't her husband. And so the bride and the bridesmaid got in like this verbal altercation, just straight after the wedding. And it was kind of public. Like it wasn't like right up the front like here, but it was kind of like, you could hear it. And then um, that verbal altercation became a physical altercation when the bride busted that bridesmaid kissing the groomsmen. Right, and so they had a little scuffle in the bathroom, like the grossest place to have a fight. And, hair pulling, like why get up at 5 a.m. if you're gonna pull each other's hair? And then, so that happened, and then the night just got worse. So then the speeches came after, and they were like, it was more akin to a 21st birthday party where everyone just, like, just all those inappropriate stories. You're like, is this a kid's party or is this a wedding? So it went down, and then the dance floor happened, and there was more like bumping and grinding and R. Kelly than you'd expect at a wedding. Like it was raunchy, it was bad. And then lastly, I mean, this was all throughout the night. It was just full on. And then lastly, and I promise you I'm not making this up. Grandma died. <laughs> right? Why are you laughing, you sass? It was a complete debacle. And then for the next few days, you're looking at each other going, did that really happen? Like, surely that's a, that's a story. You know, we were bewildered. And, and look, maybe you've never been to a wedding where Nana died, but you've probably had similar kind of things happen where like, you've just been at, a, at an event or you've been somewhere and like, all heck breaks loose. It's just mayhem. You ever been so, and then for the next few days you're kind of like, did that really happen? Maybe you witnessed something crazy, maybe, I don't know, you went to a festival and it just, I don't know, mob mentality took over. Like something happened and, and for the next few days you're kind of scratching your head going, I can't believe we lived to see the end of that, that was crazy. Well, actually, the events happening at Easter post-crucifixion were kind of giving the disciples a similar feel to what you would have felt going through a crazy situation. I mean, what happened at the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, all the events surrounding that, had the disciples kind of gone, did that really happen? And not just the disciples, the town. I mean, Israel was in uproar. It was 
mayhem. Like, think about the mob mentality taking over, like, before the crucifixion. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a mob where everyone's just acting ruthless, but it's actually a scary situation. We were in Greece one time, and there was a peaceful protest happening in this small town. The biggest employer in the small town was shutting down, and so all the workers came out and did peaceful protests. Now, all they did was light flares, you know, flares, and walk down the street chanting. And we're in our hotel room um, just chilling out, and then all of a sudden you look out and there's thousands of people just walking along chanting. They were chanting in Greek, so we didn't know what they were saying. Uh, we should know because we went to Bible college and studied Greek, um, but we don't. Um, but they were walking and, and nothing happened, but at any time, if these guys wanted to, they could tear the town apart. You know, that mob mentality. And that, that's what happened at the, the death of Jesus, is that the religious rulers stirred up the mob and started this, like, this mayhem in the city, which ended up in Jesus being crucified. And before he got crucified, he actually got whipped and the skin torn off his back. And he didn't even deserve it. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Okay, that's part of the mayhem. And then the disciples are there and Peter, the head honcho, the guy who's supposed to be the courageous leader, denies Jesus three times, just completely falls off the perch. The other disciples flee. You know, most of them ran away out of um, fear and hid all over the place. Judas Iscariot, who was Jesus' treasurer, ironically sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, which actually wasn't even that much money. And when Jesus and when Judas felt like he'd done the wrong thing, he threw the money back at the, uh, the religious leaders. And they said, well, let's just buy ourselves like a, a field to bury the foreigners. And so that field, they, it was cheap. I mean, it was only 420 grams of silver. It wasn't a big, you know, it wasn't enough to sell out the Savior. So Judas did that, so that's happening. And then there was one young man, maybe a disciple, who was following all the mayhem, but for some reason he only had a linen garment on. Do you remember reading about this guy? And when all hell broke loose, one of the, um, one of the, the Romans tried to arrest him and grab him by his linen garment, and so he shook it off and ran away naked. That's in the Bible. The Bible's got some funny things in it. So that's happening. And, and then, worst of all, Jesus is crucified. You know, all of his followers were thinking that he's coming in to usher this new kingdom. You know, and all the people around had seen miracles and heard his teaching. And all of a sudden, it was kind of like a car crash. The next few days would have been mayhem. You know, confusion, bewilderment, disappointment, anxiety, fear. You wouldn't know your head from your hand. It's the sanitized version. Thank you, my friend. Now, I don't know what you would do in that situation. But today I want to show you what Jesus does. And as I was looking at this passage, I just fell more in love with him once again. It's post-resurrection. So Jesus has been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. The disciples are hiding because of fear of the Jewish you know, leaders. They're, they're hiding away. They don't know what they're doing. I can imagine the remorse of Peter like, 
everyone, the naked guy ran off, like, every, you know, I don't know if he's found his clothes by that time, like, everything went wrong. And watch what Jesus does in John 20. I love it so much. On the first evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you? Okay, he continues on in verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. It's twice. Peace be with you. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Through, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. What a saviour. I know if I had been on the receiving end of what Jesus went through, and I appeared to those disciples, my message would not have been, peace be with you. My message would have been, idiot, coward, nudist. <laughs> you guys abandoned me. You bullet. But he says not once, not twice, but three times, peace be with you. I mean, it's pretty like obvious that a big post-resurrection message for his disciples that includes us is a declaration, peace be with you. Now, what you've got to understand is that in Jewish culture, they used to, when they said things like this, it wasn't just like a phrase. It was like a, a prophecy almost. It was like, I am declaring this over you. I am speaking this over your life. And the word peace in the New Testament is from a Greek word called irene. Look at the person next to you and say, irene. Irene. It's a noun. It's this, um, it's not just the absence of war. It's not just a feeling of calm. If you look at the next slide, Irene, it's, it's used to express a sense of inner peace, harmony, and wholeness, fullness, restoration, completeness that comes from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This peace surpasses human understanding and it's a divine gift to the believers. It's, 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 it's not just, hey, peace, man. It is like a declaration of fullness, of wholeness, of restoration. Now, that's the New Testament Greek version. Now, some of you guys who geek out on words, which I do sometimes, will remember a Hebrew word with a really... Oh. I was going to do a test, and then Amanda gave the test away. <laughs> shalom. Okay, so Hebrews used to go to each other and say shalom as a, as a greeting. But it wasn't just like shalom, shalom. Like we'd say, g'day, mate. Shalom, mate. It was like, you know what? I want God's best for you. Shalom was wholeness in Christ and reconciliation and God's peace and righteousness and spiritual well-being. It was like a reconciliation of all things, that all things are made right. Shalom, brothers, was like, can God show you his fullness? 
Can God show you his greatness? And so that's what they used to declare. And then the New Testament equivalent. I reign in a peace, reconciliation, wholeness in Christ, trusting God, Christ-centered harmony, this fullness that comes in Christ. And that's Jesus' message to the disciples and then the early church and then to us. Post-resurrection, peace be with you. His desire for you is to have wholeness and fullness and reconciliation and an all-encompassing peace that satisfies your soul. A peace that surpasses understanding, a peace that you can't buy, a peace that you can't have prescribed to you. This inner peace that, that, that is still there no matter the circumstance, that is still there no matter how tough life gets or no matter how much you're celebrating in life. Irene be with you. Peace be with you is his declaration. Now the question might be, how do I go about getting this peace? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Easter Sunday. Hope in the resurrection of Christ. Fullness, wholeness, this peace I'm talking about, it's not going to come from the absence of conflict. It's not going to come from a state of meditation. No, that's fine. It's not going to come from living a healthy life or exercising self-control or avoiding toxic people. It's going to come by having a relationship with God who created you. That's the only way to get inner peace. A peace that surpasses everything else. It's a peace that is beyond circumstance. It comes from knowing God. Because God made you to be in relationship with Him. He didn't just make you to tick along in life and work and get old and retire and die. He made you and calls you to know Him. Not just know about Him, but know Him intimately, know Him personally. That's why He was resurrected, was to bring restoration between you and God. You know, we spoke about this on Good Friday, that our, our misdeeds and our sin and our stupidity has this um, effect of putting a wall between us and God. It like severs the relationship, it causes friction, it, it puts a wall between us and God. And what Jesus does on the cross is take all our sin and brokenness and stupidity and wears it and takes it upon himself. And as he dies, our sin, brokenness and stupidity dies with him. And as he's raised anew in new life, he gives you new life. It's, it's, it's called the great exchange. It's a crazy, crazy idea. He walks up to you. You walk up to him. And you give him all your addiction. You give him all your brokenness. You give him all your mistakes. And say, you have this. And instead, he, he doesn't just reciprocate and give you the same things. He exchanges your brokenness in separation with wholeness and restoration and relationship. We bring everything bad to the table and say, here you go. And he says, I'll take that. He brings everything good to the table and says, here you go. And it's up to you to take that. That's called faith in Jesus. That's the essence of the Christ Christian message is that we believe that we are saved by grace alone, this gift that we can't earn by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. 
And the result, it is peace. Peace that surpasses understanding. Peace bigger than circumstance. I want to show you a clip. If, Joe, if you could get those top two lights off, and Mandy, you could get this. Check out this clip. All right, hopefully you could read that. But the man on the right, his son was one of those 15 that were beheaded for their faith. Now, he says that he has peace. Did you see that? That's not natural peace. You can't get that through self-help therapy or anything else. The only way to get peace like that is by knowing God. Look, uh, let's be real. If that happened to one of our children, Jesus would be hard to forgive. You know, that man's got more grace than me. If that happened to my son, I don't know how many years it would be before I could do a testimony like that. Right? So, But what we know is up until the level of that pain, we've seen people receive peace that surpasses understanding. I don't know anyone who's received pain to that level. I've never trekked with anyone who's received that sort of pain, yet that man can testify that his peace is found in Christ alone. See, we are not in a competition of who can overcome the most pain. We're not in a competition of who's got the most peace. We're, we're simply called to be children of God who are in relationship with Him. And then all of those things are solved in relationship with God. There is no other wholeness and fullness and restoration and shalom or irene found in any other way but with Christ. Now that is good news because his offer is open-handed and he's saying to you this Easter, will you take my irene and walk in fullness and wholeness and peace? He says, peace be with you. Does he say it once? Three times. Anytime in scripture, anytime in Old or New Testament when there's something repeated like that, it's like, listen, no, you better listen. Make sure you're listening right now. Guys, you know, when you get told to unload, unload the dishwasher once, <laughs> twice, and thrice, your wife means unload the dishwasher. And if you ask her to mow the lawn once, twice, <laughs> you're breaking stereotypes, guys. That's what we're about in our culture now, aren't we? That's the biggest virtue in culture now. God loves you. Not just a little bit. Enough to go to the cross to bring restoration and redemption to your relationship with Him. I get so excited knowing that I can have intimacy and closeness and oneness with the Creator of everything. The one who looked at me and called me by name and fashioned me in my mother's womb before she even thought about me. The God who numbers our days, the God who looks at us and gives us our gifts and, and, and predicts, if you can say that word, our future. Do you know what I mean? Like sets it in motion. Looks at who our best partners are gonna be. Looks at what our children are gonna look like. This God who intricately and intimately cares about you. You can have faith in the power of the resurrection to bring you peace, not just today, but for life. Irene. Do we have anyone called Irene here? Because you know, Ken also, that's kind of the root word that the name Irene comes from. 
Shalom, peace, restoration. You excited about that? You living in that? You got that peace? You got that shalom? If you don't, we learn on Friday at our Good Friday service that one man who received this peace was hanging on the cross next to Jesus. And the only chance he had at restoration was appealing to Jesus the same as us. And all he did was yell out, Remember me, Jesus. And Jesus remembered him. Maybe this Easter you need to have the same prayer. Remember me, Jesus. And he'll say, I remember you. Irene. Peace be with you. All right, Lord, we want to pray that this Easter we'll walk in the power of the resurrection. God, that we won't be spectators of religion. <laughs> We will be children of God. I want to thank you and we want to thank you that the barrier has been torn down. The chasm has been, you know, filled. It, it, there is no separation between those in Christ. Father, help us to put our faith in you, not just today, but every day. And thank you that in return you promise peace that surpasses understanding. Maybe walk in wholeness and fullness and completeness by the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. You feeling like responding a little bit? Yeah, you are. Come on, time. Get the gang up here. The gang. I appreciate the worship gang. While you guys were having chocolate at 7.30, they were here getting ready. Why don't we thank the gang? Thank the gang. And the kids, how good were they? They're definitely going to enter your chocolate basket today, Jess. They were so quiet and so well behaved. When you get to your feet, we're going to sing and then stick around for some coffee. <laughs>